When I enrolled at seminary, there was a course that I avoided as much as I could until the conference office told me, you have to take it in order to be ordained. To which I said, okay, I will. This course was called CPE, which stood for Clinical Pastoral Excellence. And it was a course where we would enroll at one of the local hospitals in a chaplaincy program. And you would meet once a week with your peer group to talk about different things and how you would engage in different situations and circumstances. And then you had to go on call for at least four weekends through the semester. And on call didn't mean nine to five and then you were able to turn your phone off. No, it meant the full 24 hours. If someone needed a chaplain, you answered the phone and you went to the hospital. You can see why I didn't necessarily want to do this class. And I remember that we were also required to go and do rounds at the hospital. And there was this family that as I went and did my rounds, that I found myself praying with on a regular basis. The husband was not doing well and did not have a good diagnosis. And so over and over throughout the weeks, we prayed for healing. And then I remember one night at about 2 o'clock in the morning, my phone rang and they said, we need a chaplain. And so I got up and I got dressed and I drove to the hospital. And then I found out that it was that family that I'd been praying with. And I went into the room to find out that the husband had passed. And, and I remember being overcome with grief and, and looking at the wife and the mother of the, the three children because they had kids and, and being overcome and saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that we prayed for healing and it never came. And then I remember being floored by her response. Because I had understood healing in a way that I understood healing. And I knew what I was asking for, and it had not been done. But I was floored when she looked me in the eye and she said, Preacher, he's healed. He's healed in a way that only God could heal. He feels no more pain. And I was overwhelmed by this sense of how frequently we have this tendency to say, if it's not my way, it's not God's way. And if I don't understand it that way, then it can't be true. And I was just flabbergasted by how God's grace gave her a new understanding of how things were of who God is. And this is what Paul keeps trying to address in this letter to the Galatians. That he's, he's trying to shift them to an understanding that, that you think you understand God and God's salvation and who God's salvation is available to. 
But he keeps shifting their understanding of who God is because as I've heard it said, if you understand all that God is, your God is too small because our finite minds cannot understand all that God is. And today he proclaims a truth that I think we could all agree with, and it's this, that in Jesus Christ, everything changed. And so in Galatians chapter 4, beginning in the fourth verse, we hear these words. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons and daughters, because you are sons and daughters. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son and a daughter. And since you are that, God has made you also an heir. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Paul is continuing in his writing to this church. And he's, he's moving them to an understanding that says we're no longer under this law, this system of who's in and who's out. And he reminds them over and over, you've heard it throughout this letter, that all the law can do is show you what you have done wrong. And if the law is the dictator of who's in and who's out, then we are all out. Because at some point across all of our lives, we have fallen short of the law. Plain and simple, if I wanted to just put it in our worldly context, what he's basically saying is that each and every one of us has had this moment where you're driving down the road, you're going with the flow of traffic, and all of a sudden you look down and you go, ooh, I need to slow down. I've broken the law. I'm speeding. Or you're like, I was when we went to Ireland and the first time I got behind the wheel of the car, well, I thought I got behind the wheel of the car because here's the thing about the cars in Ireland. The wheel's on the other side. So the first time I got in the car, I got in the wrong side of the car and then I got out and went over to the, other, to the right side. And then when I got on the road, my brain told me what? Drive on the right side of the road. Heaven forbid when that car came forward at me, I was like, oh, I need to understand that, that, that I'm not in America where our laws are this, but I'm in Ireland where our laws are this. And here's the kicker that Paul's trying to help people understand is that when we try to abide by the laws, we will fall short every time. And I would dare say and add on that in our current world, we keep adding laws to make people falter and fall short so that we feel better about ourselves. But what he, he points them to in this portion of the letter is this, that through Jesus Christ, we can experience a whole new world. I'm biting my tongue because every bit of me wants to sing the Disney song, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. 
But every, everything about Jesus Christ, it changed everything. That as we hear in the scriptures, that we are no longer defined by our wickedness, but we are welcomed in to the family of Christ through the redeeming love and sacrifice that we see on the cross. And, and, and Paul is, is begging the church, pleading with the church, because he's been doing it for four chapters. Stop it. Stop going back to, to saying we have to live under the law. He's not saying that the law doesn't exist, but he is saying that through Jesus Christ, what we acknowledge is we've all fallen short, but we are all gifted God's grace. And so maybe, just maybe, we need to be a little bit more gracious with other people. Instead of defining everything by the law, let us define everything through the lens of Christ Jesus, who came and lived and died, that all may know his goodness and grace. Or as I once heard it said, if you were the only person on earth, he still would have came, lived, died, and been resurrected. And I want to take that one step further. If that person that we define as not in was the only person on earth, guess what? Jesus still would have came, lived, died, and been resurrected for that person as well because Jesus loves us that much. And so as I started looking at this idea of redemption, I'll be honest with you, it's a church word that I've grown up kind of knowing and knowing what it means, but if you were to ask me, what does redemption mean? My answer would be, you know, redemption. It means redemption. It means you've been redeemed. And as I learned in English class, you can't define the word with the word, so I had to go look up what redemption meant. And the definition that I came across said this, it is the action of gaining or regaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing of debt. Meaning this, the redemption that occurred through Jesus Christ is Christ reclaiming you as his very own through his payment of death and removal of your debt. Because can we just take a moment and acknowledge that we're all sinners in need of God's grace. And this redemption that we are given is an invitation to something brand new, to a whole new world that was not open to us before. One defined not by debt and punishment, but one defined by freedom and grace. One that exists in and through the love of Jesus Christ. One that we are called and created and redeemed to pursue and share. To share a world of grace. To share this new idea of God's mercy. A world where all are welcomed into the family. And as we, we talked about Earlier in this letter, this idea of being an adopting family, welcoming people in, bringing them in, or as I heard a preacher friend of mine say at lunch this past week, God has no grandchildren. 
and that kind of hit me for a minute when I heard him say it. And I said, wait a minute, God has no grandchildren. Nope, we're all children of God. And what that tells me is this, that some of us think that our faith is something that we have inherited from our earthly parents. Some of us think, well, because I went to worship with mama and daddy growing up, I'm Christian, I'm good. Some of us grew up in a church, and I'll, I'll raise my hand and say I did, that all we ever heard was a list of do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, never investigating the why. But this idea of a whole new world opens our eyes and says, ask questions. Engage with. That, that when somebody says, hey, we don't do this, then we go, why? Why don't we do that? And as you start to unpack it, I will say most of the things that I heard growing up in the church were good things that we probably shouldn't do or probably should do. But when you start to understand the why behind it, your faith becomes so much more robust. And what Paul is calling them to is a place where your faith is your faith. Because we live in a world that what we are really, really good at, and I was really, really good at until seminary got a hold of me in all honesty, is that we regurgitate things that we've heard. And we don't even know if we believe it or not. We've just taken it as truth. And, and so what, what Paul is, is trying to reveal to them is this. Just because your grandparents and your parents thought it to be true doesn't mean you have to. Just because you've always sat on that same pew doesn't make you necessarily a Methodist or even a Christian. But what he's saying is you need to be honest with yourself about what you believe and what you know to be true about God. And he goes on and he reveals to them that this is kind of what everybody is going through, and that they are all wrestling with their own faith and their own understanding. But he goes on, as he had talked about last week, and says that there's no longer Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free, because we're all in the family of God, and we are all part of God's redemptive work, because God is redeeming us each and every day, and we are called to share that same redeeming grace with this world. So I've got to ask a question. If Jesus Christ changed everything, why do we live in a world that settles for what is? It's just the way it is. Yeah, I, I wish that things weren't that way, but, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, I, I, I wish that we had somewhere for the homeless community to go, but, you know, it's just how it is. I, I wish that poverty wasn't an issue in our world because I know that we have enough resources for all people to have what they need if we didn't have the haves and the have-nots. But you know what? That's just how it is. I wish that this wasn't the case. But it is what it is. And we start saying and settling for what is 
when God is trying to call us into a new world, a new way, a new thing. But for many of us, we live in our excuses and in our acceptance of just what is, what has been. So what are those things? If I was to ask you, I feel like each and every one of us has something, probably. But what are those things that God has laid on your heart? That God is calling you to? That you've allowed your earthly limitations to keep you from pursuing? Yeah, preacher, that sounds real good, but I'm just one person. Yeah, preacher, that sounds real nice, but the money's just not there. Yeah, preacher, but I came across this quote from James Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary in the late 1800s, and I just want to challenge us with this quote. He says, dream a dream so big that unless God intervenes, it will fail. Dream a dream so big that unless God intervenes, it will fail. This is the whole new world that we as the church are called to, yet for some reason we dream dreams that say, if I can't do it within my own earthly power, then I'm not going to pursue it because therefore we won't be able to attain it. But what we lose sight of is that if God laid it on our heart, God will make a way for us. Stop making excuses, start making a way. Where is it that we have allowed our fears and our anxieties, our prejudices, our worries to drive us instead of being set free to dream and faith, assurance, compassion, and trust? Where are those places that God is saying, move and do? Because I can... Be certain of this, Jesus Christ did not come, live, die, and resurrect for us to sit idly by in our pews and go, they'll figure it out eventually. But he did it so that we can perceive a new way of sharing God's love with God's people. And as I started wrestling with what does this look like, I was reminded of a conversation that I had a few months back. I was, I was sitting in the Ottenlee funeral home getting ready for my great aunt Rose's funeral and I found myself having a conversation about an experience she had. And the story that I was told goes something like this, that she woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat. Wayne looked over at her and said, what's wrong? And she said, I had a dream had a dream that God said we need a revival in Scott County. And he said, go back to sleep. And she couldn't sleep all night. And then the next night, she had the same dream, and she couldn't sleep all night. And though people kept telling her, oh, the funds aren't there, we can't make it work, it's not going to happen, she didn't take no for an answer. She, she reached out to Tony Evans and said, hey, Tony, I don't know what it's going to cost, but we want you in Scott County at the Scott County Coliseum for a revival. And he said, oh, well, here's my price tag. And all of a sudden, people said, oh, we don't have that kind of money. But she didn't stop there either. 
She kept asking and kept moving because she knew that God had laid this on her heart. And guess what? She found the money. And I'm sure that about six or seven years ago, many of you probably attended that revival in the Scott County Coliseum where Tony Evans came and spoke. And it was because one woman would not take no, but said God created this for a whole new world that people can experience God's grace. And that God has laid it on my heart, so I'm not going to use earthly limitations to say I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to say, yes, God, if you've called me to it, you'll pull me through it. Let's go. So where is it that God is calling you? Because here's the thing. We're really good at finding excuses. I'm re- let me rephrase that. I'm really good at finding excuses. I'm really good at making up reasons that we shouldn't try something. Oh, yeah, I tried that at that other church. It didn't work so well. Oh, yeah, we did that a few years ago. It didn't work. Oh, yeah, the finances aren't really there. Oh, yeah, well. We find ourselves making excuses instead of trusting in God's call for God's people. We find ourselves living lives of convenience and not lives of faith. Now, I will say this, and I want to put this disclaimer out there. Just because it's been laid on your heart does not mean that God put it there. So I want to put a pause on that for just a moment. And I've come to realize that the way in which we can understand if it's a calling from God is what is the passion behind it? What is the why? I shared this morning with Independence that if we find ourselves saying, well, we need to do a revival, I said, well, what's the why? And your reason is so that we'll have more people in the sanctuary on Sunday morning, so that we'll have more money in the offering plate, so that we can have bigger buildings and better programs. We've missed the point. We've missed the point. Because the things, when God lays it on your heart, the why is always rooted in love, care, and compassion for people. So why do we want to have a revival? Because we want other people to come to know the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus Christ, that their worlds can be changed, and that they can go and change the world around them. What is it that God is laying on your heart? Where is it that God is calling you to go? I'll be honest with you. We find ourselves so often using these excuses that we're so afraid to even verbalize what it is that God has laid on our hearts and minds to do. And so we sit idly by and we go, eh, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will take care of it. And and what Paul is calling us to is he's saying, through faith, through trust, through hope, as you have been brought into the family, you have all the faith and all the opportunity to say, God, if you've laid it on my heart, I'm going to go after it with all I am because I love you and I want to spread your good news and your creation. And so if it's rooted in the desire to share the love of Christ with God's people, I would dare say it's God calling you. God nudging you. And I would encourage you 
I would implore you, I would beg you to not sit idly by, but to pursue it. And if there's any way that I can help you, I will be happy to. What are those things, though? What are those things that God has laid on your heart? And perhaps the the flip side of that question is this. What are those things that have kept you bound up for so long? Yeah, God, but I can't do that. I'm only one person. Yeah, God, but people know me too well, so I I can't share that with them. Yeah, God, but... And we start making excuses before ever giving anything a fair shot. My prayer is that we would be freed from whatever those chains are that bind us up. That we would be freed to dream a dream so big that if God doesn't intervene, it will fail. And that we would put our full faith, hope, and trust in God and God alone, not in what the world may tell us could happen or might happen, but we would say, no, God asked this of me. And I will not settle for anything less. We can all recall living in a world B.C., before Christ, before we knew Jesus in our lives, But that world no longer exists as according to Paul in this letter because the good news is that there is a new way, there is something new that is possible now. That we are no longer slaves to the law or slaves to this world, but we are free in the Spirit to pursue who it is that God has called and created each and every one of us to be. Not only that, but we are free help others become who God has called and created them to be. We are are free to set others free from the chains that bind. So what is it that's binding you up? What are those chains that have enslaved you? What are those things that God is trying to set you free from that you may be the person God is calling and creating you to be? And how is it that God is calling you to help set your neighbor free? As we close today, did this a few weeks ago, we're going to do it again today. I want to open the prayer rail. You may want to come down and pray about those things that have been binding you up. You may want to come down and pray about those things that God has laid on your heart. You may just want to come down and pray. I invite you to do so. The rail is open. God says, come. And as we sing our closing hymn, we'll sing as long as we have to. But I invite you to come and spend some time listening for the voice of God. Seeking God's will and God's way for us as individuals and as a church. Amen.